Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 268. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Borg. And here we are back after, you know, like a week and a half or so, yeah, two weeks. it's been a while. It's been a while. I've been busy. You've been busy. Um, yeah, so a lot's happening in the world. Uh, a lot is happening in the world. Yeah. And if anybody gives us, if a foreign government gives us anything, what are we doing? Well, I think we'll have to think about what today the yeah, it was. Well, you know, we have to find out if it's right or not, if it's good or bad or whatever. In other words, you tell the FBI, period. That's yeah, the right tell, answer you, always. You, you tell the, but here's the interesting thing about that. So the, the argument about Hillary and the dossier that, well, what about, so first of all, Hillary and the dossier is not the same thing because she hired Fusion GPS, which originally was hired by Republicans right. in the primary. But that, Aside, so what they're saying is lock her up for for the dossier. But so what you're saying is on that logic, you want to lock her up because she allegedly did this, which she didn't do. But let's just say she did. But then what Trump said was okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very interesting sort of logic. Yeah, that I'm struggle to follow. And uh, we're losing, you know, we're losing really a national treasure. Uh, Sarah Sanders is. is resigning. And Trump wants her to run for governor or the Senate in Arkansas. Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's, that would be a, you know, she should further serve the Republic and something like that. Yeah. I mean, Arkansas. Yeah. Arkansas. Yeah. You know. Oh, that's where her, her daddy was governor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I remember one time when, in 2008, when, when Mike Huckabee was running for, president and he said basically he had said that the bush foreign policy was a little arrogant and he wanted you know a more measured foreign policy and somebody said to george w Bush, what do you think of governor huckabee's statement that your foreign policy is arrogant he just goes you know oh mike i mean i knew mike when he was heavy (laughs) 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 that's such greatest george bush is i mean i knew him when he was heavy That's pretty. That's pretty funny. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, well, we're in the season of graduation. Those of you who are graduating from whatever, we wish you the best. Uh, I was telling you before I got here. I've been to eight preschool graduations. Uh, there should be some kind of award or reward in heaven for that. Uh, six of them today at the preschool at Feasterville. Uh, I went to one at the preschool at Crossroads. Those are the two churches I work with, and you know. Yeah, uh, at Feasterville, everybody everybody gets a diploma, and um, we get to figure. They get to say what they want to be when they grow up, from three year olds all the way up to our kindergarten class. So that was six uh, six sessions of that today. So as I told you, the world should be safe in the future because we're going to have a lot of policemen and spider men out there. Well, if you get a few spider men and and some cops, I mean, you're not you're going to be crime free. My my favorite one I went to was my one son, uh, my one grandson goes to this uh, great kind of alternative preschool that's all in the woods, uh, off of Fairmont Park there in in the city, 
And you know, so you can, it's run by a bunch of, you know, Quakers and hippies and things like that, but it's cool. But they, they just have the kids kind of, kind of walk down and then they hand them a piece of paper and tap them on the head. It all, the whole thing took five minutes. <laughs> it was perfect. Yeah. College graduation should be the way. should be the way. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then my, my granddaughter, I went to two of my, two of the, two of the, uh, uh, what did I say? I went to nine. Two of the nine were, um, were relatives. So they were sweet. But, uh, yeah. So I'm kind of done with that right now. I need to take a break. Yeah. I can, I can understand why you'd be done. Can I tell you something I've, I learned yesterday? What? Uh, I listened to a, de- a debate on the Electoral College on the NPR show 1A. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really interesting. Do you know that of the, cause the argument for the Electoral College is that, you know, it really, uh, Small states have more of a voice in rural states. Do you know that the of the 13 small, least populous states mm. in the past six elections, presidential election cycles, so 24 mm. years since this organization has been keeping track, one of those 13 in the past 24 years has gotten a presidential visit. And of the 10 most rural states, none of them have gotten a presidential visit in the past six election cycles. That's well, I, yeah. So, wow. So it's just interesting the argument. And again, like I, I was talking about this with someone recently, and who is a is a friend of the show, and and we were discussing the electoral college. And I said, look, look, I should be for it because Pennsylvania, I mean, is a swing state, and we get disproportionate attention right. and stuff. But like, you, you, but you you wind up with these. If you're a Republican in New York or California, your vote becomes irrelevant. If you're a Democrat in a place like Texas or in a lot of the southeast or parts of the Midwest, you're just it's sort of like – so if you didn't have it, you'd have incentive as a candidate to take population centers seriously wherever they were right. because yeah. every vote would count. So you, right. you – and, and you'd have chances in pockets of a blue state like, right. like or a pocket like California – there's huge swaths of it right. that are, are a significant minority of Republicans where you could where those votes would matter in a tally kind of thing. Right. But you know, so it's just I don't know, it's just so interesting that yeah. uh, that that the arguments around the Electoral College are very are very interesting and, yeah. and and you know, the the electoral compact where this compact of states that Colorado is close to passing this and a bunch of states I think have signed on, so that it's up to like hundred and ninety worth state's worth of electoral votes. So the idea is when you sign this compact that you say you'll only award your electors to the winner of the popular vote. So if 270 electoral votes worth of state sign on, you functionally go onto a popular vote system even though you've kept the electoral college. Yeah, there we go. Which wouldn't need a constitutional amendment. No. It would just be a kind of... There's a lot of innovative things coming out of Colorado. I mean that... Uh, yeah. Yeah, and some interesting. I mean, two people edibles, <laughs> but two people who will not get elected or will not get the nomination. Both are interesting con- candidates from Colorado: the senator and the former governor. Yeah, They're both interesting. Yeah, we got that debate coming up, which will will be the first one. Should be pretty interesting. Um, I finished- Andrew Yang is is going to be in the debate, and I heard him on. I've heard him. I heard first heard him like a year and a half ago on some podcast, and. He's making the rounds more. And he was on Bill Martin. He was on. He was interviewed by Ross Douthat mm-hmm. on the Argument podcast for the New York Times. And Douthat's a smart guy and a conservative. Yang was fantastic and just talked about the why he thinks Trump got elected and and it's the fear of automate automating jobs and stuff. And 
And this is really what he's concerned about and, and his sort of freedom dividend, the idea of giving every American a thousand dollars a month and, and sort of basic income. Kind of stuff. I mean, he, he is the most po- like sort of policy oriented forward thinking. I don't know if he has a prayer in hell, but no, he doesn't, but, but I, who knows? I mean, but sometimes ideas get into the, yeah, that's how you, you know, you run for your idea right now. I think I'm part of the Yang gang. Your Yang gang. All right. Who knows though? Cause Pete Buttigieg would have been nowhere a couple, I mean, yeah, I, two I, months ago, I you, think, get, you get a viral. It's so interesting because that's, it, that's who I'm leaning to right now. Yeah. But think about that. Like you, Buttigieg was going nowhere a couple months ago and he did a town hall or something. And he's incredibly compelling as a speaker and, you know, he's a visionary kind of guy. But, and as enough, a person, not only a speaker, yeah, as a person. He's got a biography that's, it's funny because Ross Douth had said both Buttigieg and Andrew Yang are these guys who have sort of, uh, rode their way to the top of the meritocracy and it's kind of, in their own ways, have said, screw you to it. Like, mm-hmm. made countercultural choices. Yeah. Based on the marriage. So, yeah, but I mean, it's interesting because. A Buddha judge actually with, served his country in the yeah, military. Yeah. With, yeah. with, with social media now, you like these kind of candidacies can. Yeah. You can all of a sudden come out of nowhere if you catch the right exposure. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I think I plugged this last time we were together, but, uh, finished Chernobyl. Uh, I think it's, it's a must watch. I've not seen it yet. Yeah, it's a must-watch. It's really well done. I, I, <laughs> I did see where the Russians are going to do their own version. Oh, of course. Uh, which will be, I'm sure. Steven Seagal will be in there. <laughs> Steven Seagal will go in and eat the radiation. Yeah, exactly. It's so fun. I think I'd rather, all things being equal, I'd rather have The Rock, but, you know. Well, no, The Rock, yeah. yeah. The Rock, yeah, can uh, usually is a pretty good one to have to save the world, but... Uh, no, that's uh, that's pretty pretty interesting, and uh, yeah. So we are full swing. I guess technically summer's almost technically beginning, right? Yeah, the lazy, hazy days of summer. You know, it's, I, I don't remember. If you saw on Facebook like about a week and a half ago, I said, you know, I'm kind of being convicted come of Pentecost coming up, so that I wasn't going to say anything bad. Try to be careful not to say anything bad about anybody. Um, from from Pentecost to Trinity for Sunday, which we're in the middle of, and I realize that I haven't posted anything. <laughs> That's how I've dealt with. That's so interesting. Is that like a, a kind of like alternative to Lent? To swim? It's a mini Lent. I, I gave up. <laughs> well, well, my own well, mini Lent. Well, partially, but about this idea of and you and I were. I don't know if we had it on. I can never remember if we talk in a podcast or just on the phone. Yeah. But the idea of our individual issues or principles uh, are overriding any sense of unit commitment to the unity of the church. You know? yeah. And if you take, I mean, if you take seriously what Jesus said, which, you know, of course, you know, who does, but if you did his whole, ta- his whole talk about unity and it was the lectionary, the gospel lectionary yeah. a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it is a very powerful and convicting kind of thing. And that, um, you know, I said, I said in the post, you can't impose it bureaucratically it's not something that the real unity of, 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 of Christ is not something that can be voted on or enforced by, you know, hierarchy that, uh, it's, uh, whatever, whether your hierarchy is the Roman Catholic Church or the Episcopal, uh, Episcopal Church or, you know, some sort of denominational hierarchy or some sort of strange, uh, pagan view of of authority male authority in the church you can't impose it that way that's not it's it's a not it's a reality that flows from 
You know, Jesus says, I and you. Well, you can't impose it, but it doesn't mean it's not fun to try. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's Let's an, be honest. But it's, an onto, it's really, I, I think you could say, it's a spiritual ontological reality that you live into or receive as a gift. And when we don't do it, then we're actually really going against the very nature of what Christ's work was about, what our baptism is about, what Pentecost is about. And I would say it's, you know, it's a sin against the Trinity, which is our discussion today, the Trinity. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlin, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butrin, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedian, Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. On to the Trinity. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you, you, Colin Gunton in the book, The One, The Three, and The Many, says you could look at Western culture as this like struggle between intellectually between Heraclitus and Parmenides. Her- Heraclitus, the sort of philosopher of the many, and you know that even it's funny because even though he does kind of have a logos, it's 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 in flux, and and really the many precedes any kind of real unity, and you know you never step in the same river twice. Everything is right, is right. change. And Parmenides is sort of the philosopher of unity kind of par excellence. You know, the reality is really a kind of eternal oneness. And that you that he thinks you were often going back and forth between these poles. You could look at the kind of, you know, he thinks you look at sort of the Cold War and you see this battle between a kind of collectivist unity versus a sort of approach to life that, starts with the liberty of the individual, you know, and, and the individual is a base unit of kind of society. And I think that's, yeah, it's kind of interesting because you, I mean, Gunton thinks that, and or I mean, he's a big fan of Samuel Coleridge and Coleridge gets a lot of positive attention in that book. But it's interesting because this is something that we, I think we, we see even in our own time, you know, you, you have people that want, in this election cycle, you have people that want on the left and the right. It's funny because I think you have a kind of populism on the left and the right that are kind of chipping away at, I'd say, it's old school classical liberalism, center right, center left. That you know that largely, you know, the liberal project is about 
kind of a state that makes space for individuals to pursue, you know, gives them space to pursue their own uh, eudonymia, their own happiness. And, and in many ways like that does, that becomes kind of not enough. And so you have a kind of right wing populism that has a collectivist kind of, and, and a left wing kind of collectivist kind of uh, urge. And, and, you know, that, you know, that, that could spell bad things for the liberal project. So maybe, yeah. Maybe where's the Trinitarian candidate that says equal and <laughs> I mean, because ultimately, I mean, I think Gunton thinks that that part of what and he thinks, look, you can't get to this by natural theology or anything. He thinks you no. can't, but he does think what the Trinity reveals about reality is that there's an equal, ultimate dialectical relationship between unity and diversity, between the one, the three, and the many in in in, right. in creation, like. And so I think that there's something about that that he thinks, though, that, that while we need revelation because of our finitude and fragility right. and fallenness, he thinks that what revelation reveals ought to correspond to what people discover the nature of reality is like. So he has this kind of this great phrase, a non-totalitarian, uh, Trinitarian kind of approach to reality. So he's, he's, he's not arguing for this harsh top-down view of revelation looking down at the rest of the world but thinks actually come let us reason together yeah. and, and that even though our starting place comes from revelation that there ought to be echoes of this uh, of this sort of source of reality out in the world i think that that's compelling yeah you know it's interesting i mean you think and and it's something that was that's always been an impulse in the, in the christian tradition i mean i'm thinking of justin martyr for instance yeah. and, and i mean i think his so much of his work is primitive and it's kind of faulty, both philosophically and theologically. But it's but it was a what else? Okay, you, the work is faulty, both philosophically and theologically. Other than that, it's a great tune, but you can't dance to it. Well, but <laughs> but I mean that's maybe falsely judging him on what's come back, come after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think it's a it's a wonder. I, it's uh, but it's kind of the creative thing that you. I mean, some of what he does in his work. Reminds me of the kind of thing you, you know, cutting my teeth on youth work. You know, you're always finding, okay, how can I come up with ways to relate you know, to the kids and make it? And I think that's what Justin Martyr does. He's finding all kinds of him and he sees crosses everywhere. He sees crosses. He's saying to youth workers, like, hey, if you're struggling to do talks, just get Justin Martyr. Get Justin You'll Martyr. be fine. You'll be fine. What's well, like, a, a, you know, a, a, that was the joke at Princeton. Even, even the youth ministry classes had Bart as part yeah. of the curriculum. <laughs> But, you know, I think uh, I agree. You know, it's interesting to me, uh, particularly when it comes to Trinity, you know, this idea of, I mean, um, we, we both are big fans of Von Balthazar. And, you know, and, and, and this idea of, the, of how love, uh, you know, love lends itself to talking about there's a threeness in love. It's very natural to talk about, you know, when you talk about unity and diversity. And I, I do think that's that's kind of it. It is... Um, you know, I, I told you this story because uh, we did Vesp I did a Vesper service this Wednesday, and uh, I, I told you I, I think I I um, if I thought through it more, I may have never done what I did, but uh, I followed. Well, it's another great thing. Well, if I thought through it, I, I would have done, done this. Yeah, but which made, without thought, this is what well, I, came up with. I mean. But how 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 many of us in ministry? If I had thought about it, I wouldn't be. <laughs> I'd gone to medical school, but anyway. And this idea of, of trying to illustrate what the Trinity is through this idea of unity and diversity. And, and last Friday or last Sunday was my birthday. And, uh, 
uh, my four sons and I got together, and we realized, I mean, we've, we're always together in lots of different family functions, but, you know, it's, it's been nine years since just the guys got together, because there's been babies and marriages and all kinds of stuff since then. And, uh, you know, we did a toast to the Boer men, and part of what I described was this idea, of, you know, if you talk about what is the love that the Boer men have for each other, this unique kind of interaction between my son and my four sons and myself and each other. And, you know, their individual relations and all that. Matter of fact, you could graph it. And it's, you know, it could be a fairly complex thing. But when you say the love that the Boer men have for each other, there's a unity there. And uh, it is something that in, it's a dynamic unity because it's, it, it involves all kinds of connectedness and relationships. But um, but as a concept, our you know what we care about each other and who we are together uh, is we have a, un- a unique sense of that, and I think that's that you know if, I was using that to try to talk about the unity and diversity in God and the dynamic, and of course you know you know it wasn't Augustine's favorite analogy for the Trinity, but it's my favorite one, <laughs> <laughs> and that's this idea of the lover, the beloved, and the love between them, and you know I think even. If you begin to, you know, break it down between a, a God that's both transcendent and eminent, you begin to have to have some. There's there's a there's a kind of duality there. Now, I don't say duals, but there is a kind of movement between one to something else. And of course, that's the great Gnostic systems, in part which our Trinity was built off of. You know, have that move from the monad to the dyad, from the one to the many, as you mentioned earlier. But it also, you know, Scripture kind of. Scripture talks about. It. I mean, Scripture doesn't teach the Trinity, but it certainly bears witness to it. And and it's not so concerned to make all, to, you know, to clean everything up. That was left to the church to do that. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at Gordon Fee's book, God's Empowering Presence, which is like a, it's a long book, but uh, New Testament scholar. He he was a great scholar. Oh, he's fa- amazing. Yeah, I yeah. think it, as someone who's underappreciated sometimes. But he, is he still alive? I think he passed. Uh, yeah, I do. I do yeah. think he passed. Yeah. His daughter that's right she's a she's, uh, is teaches with our friend brother fitch at northern seminary that's right she's a new te- she's a new test theologian theologian okay. theology yeah. uh, so he talks about how paul goes out of his way at times to make to use the same verb constructions in certain passages with the, with the spirit and the father and the son and it's very interesting kind of along the lines of these trinitarian kind of it's not there's not a relationship between the persons per se that you think about in the fourth century but you know something that, that at least alludes to it yeah you know one of the things i do think too in terms of uh, when i was doing my patristic study which i guess now is 20 years ago um you know one of one of the things when you know there was a lot of good stuff being written about the nicene you know controversy and you know without you know, I mean, going through all of it technically, it, there was a there was a whole kind of school of thought that talked about the idea that what Arius was really concerned about and Athanasius, what they really were concerned about, was not metaphysics. Metaphysics was a secondary thing, but they really were concerned about soteriology and and what it meant. How was one saved, and what is the nature of the Christian life? And I actually think, in this kind of biblically illiterate age we live in, and you know. The lack of theological sophistication, even among many Christian leaders, or just very often sophistication. <laughs> but no, but I mean, I'm you know, I mean, again, the, the I'm the most sophisticated. I mean, again, I use the most sophisticated language. 
the know, biggest I, words. And I understand why people, you know, you need to do seminary the most efficient way. And I understand seminaries need to stay in existence. And so, you know, what happens academically has all been watered down. But I think one way to recapture, you know, again, I think it's important to understand the philosophical foundations of our of our faith. But it's also important to remember that what drives Christology, uh, what drives Trinitarian thought at any particular age, are particularly issues that are important to the church at that time. I mean, so, uh, for instance, the idea of how, what is the nature of the Christian life is a pretty important question. And um, Arius was not merely some renegade presbyter trying to be a be disobedient to his bishop, and Athanasius wasn't some sort of bullying, uh, uh, you know, bishop that had to, you know, to take, who's taking on emperors, that both of them had... Seri- Joe Pesci, that would be my answer. Joe Pesci could be that. Uh, or Kevin Hart now. Kevin Hart has <laughs> Athanasius. <laughs> but what... Um, but they were both were very concerned about what the nature of the Christian life was, and which is something we all should be. And I do think that probably if our ethics or our understanding of the Christian life is faulty, it most of the time that can be traced back to our Christology or Trinitarianism, or that we have a, if there, if there's a lack of integration between the two, that's equally a problem. Because I do think how we think about God, how we think about Christ, uh, should trickle down through all that we do. And I think, you know, for instance, I, part of the renewed interest in the Trinity that just kind of that happened over the last 20 years or so, with the, particularly the economic Trinity, was, you know, it's, it's, it's really being, in some levels, it's really fruitful conversations about how can we talk about equality without hierarchy, or how can we talk about relationships, how do we talk about power, and that seeing the Trinity may, you know, may be an, a... a a icon or an image of how Christian approaches to power and relationships can be worked out. And I think actually, the, you, know, the, you know, even the idea that people rediscovered the economic trinity, well, the Cappadocians were very concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I want to just make a practical recommendation. This came to me. Uh, Glenn Scrivener, who is a listener to this program and runs a great ministry in the UK, wrote a book called Three, two, one: the story of God, the world, and you. And it's very short, and he, oh, something's telling us that we're, our stream quality is low. Well, I say it's not, but there we go. Uh, he, he, I say it's not. Uh, you're, like the, you're like the guys running the board at Chernobyl. Exactly, it, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's news not. Could, news could not be happening. Yeah, we cannot have low stream. This is impossible. Uh, he says the three. Do you, the reactor did not <laughs> it blow did not up. Matter. I want you to go look in to make sure. I am, you are the surf, I am the czar. Uh, <laughs> He has this chapter three, God is a loving union of three. And he talks about Colin Gutton and some stuff. Very, and then he has this, this chapter called two, the world is shaped by two representatives. He talks about Adam and, and Christ and, and right. the story of broken humanity and the story of, of Christ. And the one is sort of conclusion. You're one with Adam, be one with Jesus. And he says that a Christian really is someone who's in Christ swept up into the story of what God's doing, mm-hmm. the triune God is doing uh, in the movement of, Spirit in Jesus. And it's such a like basic thing, but I'm like, wow. I mean, I remember when I read it, I was like, this is really basic. It, it it's 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 simple, but not simplistic. No, I, it's interesting. I, I was I heard a devotional the other day, and uh, and the person said, well, you know, this is what Jesus, you know, this is what Jesus did, and and it actually no, that's not what Jesus did. 
And actually, this is what the gospel is. And I wanted to go, no, <laughs> it's not what the gospel is. And I did, I, I kept my mouth shut. Because it was in your Pentecost to Trinity week. Yeah, it was in my Pentecost to Trinity week. That's right. I have to, if I'm going to, if I'm going to confront that person, I have to wait until after Sunday exactly. to do it. But, but it gets back to, you know, actually seeing what Jesus was doing, actually reading the text, not a bad idea. No, it's good. <laughs> it's a good thing. And also the richness of, I think, again, the Pauline insight. I mean, the, uh, you know, uh, just the riches of, you know, my talk about the family bore, the bore love, uh, bore men love, uh, you know, really is born out reflecting on Colossians 1. And this idea of, of Jesus being the reflection and, and, and the idea that God as a theoretical idea doesn't do us much good. God as a force doesn't do us much good. The expression of God in the person of Christ, the exact image of God, that's what we need to see. The boar does sound a little bit like the Borg and Star Trek, like the boar, the collective. The collective. <laughs> you will be assimilated. Yeah, we're not very, we're not very good at assimilating. <laughs> well, we're, blessed uh, Trinity Sunday to everybody. Yes, and, thanks uh, for listening. Good to be back. Listening. And uh, we have, will catch you next time. Yes, be well. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, happy Father's Day and, and whatever else is coming up on the calendar. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.